Well, good morning and welcome again to worship. There's songbooks stuck up here. We're glad to have you with us. This is an exciting time of the year for a lot of people. This is, uh, well, last week was the last day of school for a lot of our kids. And we have a lot of teachers in our audience, in our church, and it was the last day of school for them. Now, that was for the Edmund crew. Our Oklahoma City crew still is going. And if you want to know who teaches and who attends in which district, just look at their face today. It'll be quite clear. But uh, a lot of stuff going on. And so we have a lot of people out traveling today. So we pray for their safety and their blessing. And this evening, you'll see in your bulletin at 5 o'clock, I want to invite you back. The youth uh, are celebrating some of our graduates. We have three graduates this year, Hannah, Olivia, and Abby. And so they are, we are going to celebrate them tonight. And this is for the whole church because they are part of this church. And I hope that you will uh, make that a priority to come back and celebrate with them and do that. And also, this morning's Bible class, at least for the adults, uh, Lynn, I believe that's back in the fellowship hall today, right? He thinks so. Just follow the two guys in the really cool African shirts, um, because they're going to do a report on their Togo trip, and they did some remarkable things. Some of you got to see that through Facebook and some posts online, and God did some amazing things through them, and I'm excited to hear about that, and I'm excited to see what God is doing in Africa. So uh, that's going to be immediately after Bible class. I think I just created this huge confusion that Ryan is trying to clear up with Lynn at the moment. Yes, Ryan and Tony are now going to set up the fellowship hall. Oh, good, middle schoolers and teenagers. So see, my announcements are not fruitless, I think. Hey, open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. When I was a kid, it seemed like there were only two texts that preachers would address when talking to youth. If it was some special youth rally, this preacher would come in and they would open up to either Ecclesiastes chapter 12 or 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now, we didn't read 1 Timothy 4 today, but that's the text where Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but be an example to the believers. And that was a good text. It's a great text to talk about. But you could always guess, at least, that the sermon to youth would either be out of 1 Timothy 4 or this text from Ecclesiastes chapter 12 that Tony read from. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Well, since we're between sermon series and we're celebrating seniors this evening, I thought what a great opportunity to talk about these texts, or at least Ecclesiastes chapter 12. So that's where I want to put our attention today. I don't want to embarrass our seniors and tell you that this entire sermon is focused just on you. It kind of is. But but this is a conversation that all of us in the church need to hear. And it's an interesting text in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, because we used to hear these texts preached all the time. And somewhere along the way, preachers just assumed we'd worn those out, and so we quit talking about them. So you don't hear these texts mentioned as often as you once did. 
Or maybe it's because I just only heard that because I thought they were talking to me as a young man. But the story of Ecclesiastes is such an interesting story. To be honest with you, there were years and years and generation after generation of Jewish people who didn't know what to do with the book of Ecclesiastes. For a number of reasons, it doesn't ever tell you who wrote the book. It alludes to Solomon, and it clearly wants you to think about Solomon, but it never says it was Solomon. In fact, the writer is referred to as some guy named the preacher or Kohelet. And so it speaks of him as the preacher says this, and the preacher thinks that. And then you get to the end of the book, and the preacher concluded this. But it never tells you Solomon. It never comes out and says, I'm the guy who wrote this book. And that's one of the reasons that Jewish people didn't really know what to do with this, this, uh, this book for so long. The biggest reason we weren't really sure what to do with it is because it's weird. It is unorthodox. Ecclesiastes says things you don't normally say in church. Don't be overly religious. All you should do is eat, drink, and be merry. Life stinks. We don't talk like that in church. And we don't know what to do with an entire book in our Bible that just keeps saying that over and over and over and over again. What do you do with a book like Ecclesiastes? So while we're used to hearing chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, remember the Creator in the days of your youth, before you get there, you've got to slog through some really weird stuff. And for this and for other reasons, Ecclesiastes is one of these books they just weren't sure what to do with. To be honest with you, we're still not sure what to do with it at times. I mean, listen to this. This is the opening statement of the book of Ecclesiastes. All the way at the other end, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Why do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? That's a great way to start a sermon, isn't it? You stand up and you begin by saying, life stinks. I got to be honest, when I listened to Tony read Ecclesiastes chapter 12, when he got to the end of the reading, I thought, that's even more depressing than I thought it would be this morning. Ecclesiastes is a depressing book. And to begin this book by saying, what's the point? Life really stinks. It's it's just vanity. It doesn't mean anything. And then from that point in Ecclesiastes, he begins to tell you this poem. Listen to this. The poem is in verse 4. A generation goes, a generation comes. The earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, hurries to the place where it rises. The wind blows from the south, goes around the north. Round and round goes the wind, and its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they will continue to flow. All things are wearisome, more than one can express. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been will always be, and what has been done is what will be done. 
there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which can be said, ah, this is new? It's already been. In ages before us, the people of long ago are not remembered, nor will they be remembered. Of people yet to come by those who come after them. He just keeps digging the hole deeper. This guy's depressing. Like what one author said, he said, this is not the Sermon on the Mount. This is a sermon from the depths. Ecclesiastes is a depressing book. And he starts by telling you how much life stinks, and he talks about this poem where nothing ever changes, nothing, nothing ever moves. I mean, the, the rivers keep flowing, nothing changes. There's nothing new out there. What's the point? And so in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, he says, you know what? I thought I would go out and I would see if I could make meaning out of something. And it's what we call the royal experiment. He goes poking around and looking for meaning and looking for purpose. He tries pleasure. He tries laughter. He tries drinking. He tries building. He tries business. He tries investing. He tries women and wine, wealth, you name it, he tried it. He said, I didn't keep anything from my heart that my eyes saw. And here's his conclusion. Chapter 2, verse 17. I hated life because of the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. And of its meaningless... The chasing after the wind. I hated all the things that I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me. Chapter 2 and verse 24. A person can do nothing better than to eat, drink, find satisfaction in their toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. One of the reasons the Jewish people weren't sure what to do with this book is it is so unorthodox and depressing. There. Aren't you glad you came to church today to listen to this guy talk? Well, as you read the book of Ecclesiastes and you unpack some of the words, you find there are kind of three big points. Point number one, life is short. It really is. The way he starts Ecclesiastes, this word that he likes to throw around quite often, vanity of vanities. Jim has talked about this word in the past. It's a Hebrew word that's hebel. It means breath or vapor. It's just here for a moment and it disappears. And the writer of Ecclesiastes isn't the first guy to notice this. Psalm 90 says, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if by strength. James 4.13, now listen you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? It's a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live or do this or that. See there? Life is short. 
This has been my experience. This past week, I had lunch with Ike Wilson, and Ike was telling me he's coming up on his 50th year reunion from high school. Did you think Ike had been at a high school for 50 years? He's not there yet. Not there. He's at 48 years. And I got to thinking, how long has it been since I graduated high school? It's none of your business. Actually, it's 27 years. For Jim Baird, it was over 100 years ago. I mean, he... I need to go back and do the math on that one. I actually remind Jim, I was actually born the year he graduated college. That doesn't sit well with Jim. How did it happen? Life is a vapor. It's here, and you wake up one day, and you've been out of high school 25, 50, 75 years. That's one of the complaints that the writer of Ecclesiastes has. It's just so short. What's the point? What are we doing here? Not only is life short, but the writer of Ecclesiastes says life is hard. There's a cycle of work that seems to go nowhere. That's what that poem of chapter 1 is all about. It's just an endless cycle of marking time. Chapter 2 and verse 22 says, What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This is meaningless. Or chapter 5 and verse 8, one of the reasons life is so hard is because of oppression and injustice. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things, for one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others still higher. The increase from the land is taken, the king profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This is meaningless. And my guess is you don't need the writer of Ecclesiastes to tell you that life is hard. There are people in this church building who have experienced the worst that life can throw at you. The death of people you love, sickness, poverty, injustice, oppression. See there, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, What's the point? It stinks. Life is short. Life is hard. What's the point? And as you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he doesn't seem to resolve that tension. He comes up with some things along the way. There is pleasure in, in what we work at. There are things we try the writer of Ecclesiastes has tried so much stuff, he even wrote a chart-topping song for the birds. Chapter 3, to every season, there's a turn. Time to be born, a time to die, a time for war, a time for peace, a time to tear down, a time to build up. But the problem of that 
Who knows what time it is? Who knows if we're living in a moment to tear down or to build up? You don't know. Who knows if it's a time to weep or a time to rejoice? We spend most of our life trying to figure these things out. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, what's the point? Life is short. Life is hard. But this truth he's figured out. God is sovereign. As brief as life is, as hard as life is, God remains sovereign. Chapter 3 and verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy to do good while they live. To each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction all of their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. So, the writer of Ecclesiastes takes you on this weird journey throughout the book. Along the way, he points out some other painful truths. No matter how hard you work, you're going to die. No matter how righteous you are or how wicked you are, you're going to die. Everything you earn and everything you build up this life is going to be handed off to somebody else. Who knows what they're going to do with it? And someday, no one will remember who you are. It really is a chipper book. And then he comes to those famous words of chapter 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. It really is an odd change of pace. But when you continue reading, it just continues down this rabbit hole of depression and cynicism. I just want you to stop and think for a minute. He has to tell people to remember their Creator. It's because it's easy to forget. And to be honest with you, statistically speaking, most people don't. Their famous research, Barna Research, came out last year and says, just shy of one in four teens worldwide is a committed Christian. In the United States, that's roughly one in three. Another one-third are nominally Christians. They say it, but it doesn't impact the way they live. But then when they become adults, ages 18 to 22, it drops all the way from 33% to 17%. 52% of adults ages 18 to 22 do not identify as Christians or don't even know Jesus. If those statistics hold, that means of our three graduating seniors, only one of them will stay with the church. The other two will walk away 
They'll have nothing to do with church or faith within the next three to five years. But let's be honest, we didn't need research to tell us that. All of us know people in our own lives who used to sit in these pews beside us, who never give thought to faith any longer. We can name children who have grown up in this church, who went to every lock-in, who came to every Bible class, who sat through every worship service, who went on mission trips, who we've not seen in this church building for years. That's why the writer of Ecclesiastes tells them, don't forget God. And in large part, it's not for lack of effort. I think Wilshire's been blessed with good Bible class teachers, and Wilshire has been blessed with a very active youth ministry. But it's not Wilshire's job. It's our job as parents. And we live in a culture where we blame everybody else without accepting the responsibilities that God has given to us. Now, don't hear that wrongly. I'm not saying that if you have a child who has blessed the faith that that guarantees you did something wrong. Scripture does not teach that. But what Scripture does teach is that it is my responsibility as a parent to see that my children learn to love the Lord. And Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is written as a father to a son, or in typical wisdom literature, an older person speaking to younger people. And when he looks over the scope of life and all that makes no sense to him and all that seems worthless and meaningless, he says, but there are a few things that you need to understand as you grow old. Don't forget the Lord. I've tried everything. I've been everywhere. I've done whatever I had the power to do. I looked high and low, I've had fame, I've had poverty, I've seen injustice, and I've been on the other side of it. And I'm telling you, don't forget God. You're going to die someday. You're going to work your tail off. And you're going to earn a lot of stuff, and it's going to go to someone else. But let me tell you this, don't forget God. And the book takes a rather depressing turn, as if it weren't already there. Because it's only going to get more difficult as you age. Chapter 12 unpacks this poem. It's kind of an interesting, strange poem. And again, to be honest with you, <clears throat> we're not sure what to do with it. Here's some of the language. Remember the Lord and the remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the days come when you say, I don't have pleasure in them anymore. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, the clouds return to the rain. And the day when the guards of the house tremble, tremble, 
We're not sure what he's talking about. We don't know if this is some figurative speech, some metaphorical image. Most scholars think that he's, he's picturing the human body as this building or as this city that's slowly beginning to decay. And so images such as where the strong men are bent, maybe talking about your back, and the women who grind cease working, that may be your teeth. When, when the doors of the street are shut and the sound of grinding is low, when you can't see clearly, when you can't hear clearly, remember your Creator when you're young because it's only going to get more challenging. Boy, how's that for an inspirational speech for graduates? It's just getting worse from here. The writer of Ecclesiastes wants the youth hearing him speak to understand that if you don't remember your creator now, it's not going to get easier. It's easy to forget. When you work late hours and Sunday is your only day off, it's easy to say church doesn't matter today. Or I'll take a break just this Sunday. When everyone else at work is getting ahead by compromising their ethics, it's easy to say, what will it hurt this time? When it seems easier to go along, to get along, rather than taking a stand for what you believe your Creator called you to do and who your Creator called you to be, it's easy to forget. The writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, I don't know much, but I know this. Don't forget your Creator. And if we lean in closely enough, brothers and sisters, then we also find our calling as God's people in this too. For those of us who aren't so young ourselves, help them remember. In Israel, there was a constant stream of things to help remember. <clears throat> you keep the Passover so that when your children ask. You cross the Jordan and you put an altar there. You put stones there. Why? So that when your children ask. Deuteronomy chapter 6. You teach your children when you walk along the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Write it across the door. Always help them remember. Because the writer of Ecclesiastes knows it's only going to become more difficult. 21 years ago, after Delane and I arrived at Wilshire, we were having dinner with wonderful older members of this church. Two couples, both older in years. One of the couples, the man was struggling to take care of his wife who was losing her memory. The other couple, the woman was taking care of her husband, who was losing his strength. They had, all four of those people in those couples had served in prominent roles in government and in education. And Delane and I were at dinner with this couple, these couples, along with a younger couple. And the young man was going to graduate school, he was writing papers, he was working a part-time job. And I'll never forget sitting at that table where the youngest at the table says, 
I can't imagine life ever getting more difficult than it is now. You guys must really enjoy retirement. And I waited to see if they were going to eat him. And they just smiled and went about. You could tell in their faces they were thinking, if he only knew. The writer of Ecclesiastes says life is short and life is hard, but God is sovereign. It's not going to get easier, but it will be easier if you remember your Creator now. As you are building your life, as you're making some of the most critical decisions in your life, who you'll marry, where you'll work, where you'll live, what you do with your time, the things you stand for, the things you refuse to compromise, who you truly are, why God put you here. If you learn those truths now, it still won't be easier but it'll be best. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes, looking at all the challenges of the world, says, don't forget God. Some of you have heard me talk before about how I'm not supposed to be here. If you follow the statistics and you look at the metrics of who it is we guess will grow up to keep faith and who will grow up to be in the church. By a number of metrics, I shouldn't be here. I grew up in a little church. We didn't have a youth minister. We didn't have a youth, uh, an active youth group. I didn't go on mission trips. When I turned 16, my parents divorced. Statistically, that suggests that people from broken families are going to leave the church. I went to a Christian college, which some people say actually cost you your faith sometimes. And then I went and got a graduate degree from a state school, which most people think kills any vestige of faith left. But I'm here. I still have faith. And it's not because I'm special. It's not because I've done anything remarkable. I have learned that the writer of Ecclesiastes was right. Life is short, life is hard, and God is sovereign. And I was blessed to be surrounded by Christians who invested in me, who in the midst of the hardness of life said faith should still shape you. And because of some of those folks, I have faith. I am still here because remembering your creator is an intentional decision you make. It doesn't happen by accident. You wake up and you decide whatever happens, whatever challenges, I will not forget the God who made me. Your mom and dad can't do that for you. Your Bible class teacher can't do that. 
You have to do that. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says, you must intentionally decide to remember your creator in the days of your youth. Well, it's a depressing book. It starts by saying, life stinks. And when you get to the end of chapter 12 and verse 8, he says it again. Vanity of vanity, says the teacher. It's all vanity. And we think, though we're not sure, that someone comes along after reading the majority of Ecclesiastes and they put a footnote to this. We don't know that it's the same author. It almost sounds like a different author. Verse 9, chapter 12. Besides being wise, the teacher also taught people knowledge and weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs. The teacher sought to find pleasing words as he wrote the words plainly. And then, whoever it is that writes the rest of it says this. Here's the end of the matter. After everything's been heard, fear God, keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. That's why you're here. That's the point of everything. So that's our encouragement, not just to the youth today, but to all of us who have learned that life is short, life is hard, but God is sovereign. We want to offer the invitation this morning for you to intentionally decide you're not going to forget God. For you to intentionally commit your life to discipleship in Jesus Christ. And if you need to take that step today in believing, confessing your sin, and being buried in water for the remission of your sins, we offer that invitation to you while we stand and sing.